So for Advent, we are considering a modern topic, what uh, sociologists call privilege, but we're considering it from an ancient source, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, which is in modern Greece. It was the first, um, you know, move of the gospel into, the, um, into Europe. And, um, you know, most privileged talk that you've heard, you know, if you've been to university or whatever, is, is social science but it's really a concern at the heart of the gospel. And if, if I were a, a social work student, I would, I would study this. Like, did the concept of privilege originate um, with Paul? Uh, was it, like, is, does it have its roots in the biblical uh, tradition? Paul's word for privilege is advantage or gain from birth or status. And actually, one translation of the Greek word I thought was very telling, it's windfall. Windfall, like inheritance is a windfall, and that's an expression of privilege. So just to review, Paul is writing from a prison, probably in Ephesus, possibly in Rome, and so he's in a position where he's lost you know, virtually all of his advantages, all of his privilege. He's got time to think, and you wonder if it's just not natural for him to be pondering the significance of his advantage loss in light of the message of Jesus, which after all is the reason he's in prison. And in prison, it seems that he comes to regard his loss as something to embrace. And he's quoting uh, lyrics of a messianic hymn uh, that I'm thinking he probably sang for inspiration in prison because in Acts it shows Paul doing a lot of singing in prison and you know, besides his smartphone would have been uh, confiscated so he couldn't do his normal, you know, puzzles and games. This is, from, this is Paul introducing this concept in, early in the letter. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, important word, as Christ Jesus or Messiah Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, or this translation is used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So he's urging a new mindset about the advantages that we're born with. And he's, it, the new mindset is not grasping them or defending them or asserting them, but being willing to let them go for a higher good. So last Sunday, uh, Emily compared Mary's prophetic song, which is our reading uh, this morning. And, you know, Mary, a newly pregnant young woman, she sounds like a thundering prophet of justice with Paul's testimony in uh, Philippians 3 about his giving up his uh, advantage or privilege, which has a very different tone. And, and Emily's making the point that when the, when the realm of God comes, the lowly assert themselves while the advantaged humble themselves. And there's this recalibration going on of power. Of course, we're getting, you know, the opposite message today. Um, you lowly people, you know, don't get uppity. Leave power to us powerful people. And don't worry. The more advantaged we become, the better off you will be. Just wait for the trickle down. It'll, it's coming. The trickle down is coming. Just keep, keep waiting. 
Today I want to emphasize another aspect of Paul's take on his own privilege in Philippians 3. So he's the context, uh, Emily brought this out, he sees a group of teachers asserting their privilege in an attempt to impose burdens on others. And that's key to understand. For Paul, adopting the mindset of Jesus on privilege is necessary to mend the social fabric, which is what happens when the kingdom of God comes, when the realm of God invades our realm. It's to mend the social fabric. That's the aim of God's realm in our world. It's a healing aim, and that's super relevant today. So the situation, Paul's dealing with some Christian teachers who are trying to impose the right of circumcision on the Gentiles. This is all review from last week. That's something he opposes. Uh, circumcision was a right uh, that imposed a set of religious obligations on those who were circumcised, in this case, the Gentiles. That meant they were to keep the law of Moses, they had to observe kosher, the whole nine yards. But the Gentiles, in Paul's view, the non-Jewish followers of Jesus, have not been given the grace of God to bear this burden. So what is meant as a blessing for the Jewish people would be a burden for the Gentiles, in Paul's view. And the Messiah is about lifting burdens, not imposing them. So these teachers, they're asserting their privileged status as circumcised law observant members of the church as part of their project to impose the burden of circumcision and all that it signifies on the Gentiles in Philippi. Um, the teachers, by the way, may well have been Gentile Christians who took on the added obligations of circumcision to kind of, you know, enhance their prestige. And they're uh, flaunting this enhanced prestige, their superior credentials, kind of like a megachurch pastor would be boasting about the size of his church. So here's the relevant point for us. Exercising or asserting or defending our privilege can impose a burden on others and can be part of like upholding an unjust situation. Um, Paul is adopting the mindset of his Messiah about his privilege, and he's bearing witness to this. If anyone else, it's in this context, though, of these other teachers, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I have more than these other teachers. I'm even better than they are. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains, whatever advantage I had, these I have come to regard as loss. It's a new mindset he's uh, adopting because of the Messiah. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's the higher good that he's aiming for in this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. And Emily made a point to say that this is the better translation is actually excrement, only she spelled it out in four letters, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, but becoming like him in his death is somehow I may obtain the resurrection 
for the dead. So he's willing to exchange his privilege for something like that's much more valuable than that. And notice there's three major uh, sources of privilege. There's gender privilege, circumcision was a male-only sport, um, racial privilege, uh, he was made a point to say, I'm an Israelite by birth, I'm genetically Israelite, um, that had certain privileges, uh, and then probably language privilege. So when he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, it probably meant that he was fluent in the ancient uh, language of Hebrew, which actually wasn't spoken by most of the Jewish people in that time, Aramaic, kind of an offshoot of Hebrew. It was like the common language of Israel. So he, but he's got like the, he speaks like the correct Hebrew. So it's interesting, these in particular, these three, so we've got gender, race, and language, or nationality, these are huge uh, sources of privilege uh, in our society today. It's so like 2,000 years later, we've got the same things going on. There are advantages. It's a windfall uh, to being white, to being male, to being fluent in English, right? There's other forms of privilege, of course, but these are three big ones, then and now. So here's the mind shift, mindset shift. Paul's willing to count these valuable privileges as rubbish. And it's important if, if you're Gentile, if you're like a non-Jewish person, that it's all too easy for us as Gentiles to agree for the wrong reason, you know, to agree for the wrong reason about circumcision and all that being rubbish. But remember, in Romans 9, Paul reminds his mainly Gentile hearers that in God's eyes, these are, these are like dignified, valuable things in themselves. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the sake of my own people, that he's feeling this um, disconnect with his own people because most are not receiving his message of the, of the Jewish Messiah. And, and my kindred, according to the flesh, they're Israelites, and, they, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. So this, this is his heart toward these advantages, these privileges. They're, they're in themselves a beautiful thing. So this isn't anti-Jewish sentiment on Paul's part. Um, just as recognizing white privilege or gender privilege isn't anti-white or anti-men. Holding on to our privilege, not wanting to share it, opposing efforts to level the playing field, that's the injustice that he's addressing here. So until we who are loaded with privilege adopt the mindset of Jesus about it, like our internal way of regarding it, reckoning it, we, we will resist the advance of the work of the Spirit. Um, no matter how strong our religious identity or how devout we are. So, just to bear a little personal testimony, I've had a long reckoning with my gender uh, privilege. So, you know, my background, you know, grew up in the 1950s. 50s I, you know, I came from like a liberal family, as if that's, you know, a hidden fact. Um, and, and um, but gender privilege was still very much um, assumed and unquestioned. Uh, my older, older sister Marilyn told me that when she asked our dad about going to college, 
he told her, well, it was more important for Kenny to go to college because Kenny would have the obligation of being the, you know, the breadwinner in, in the family. Um, forget that, not that much later than that, my mom actually became the main breadwinner in the family. And so I grew up hearing about, you know, like Kenny being the last Wilson male to carry the Wilson name. Uh, by the way, if you start calling me Kenny, I, I will consider that an abuse of my vulnerability. So just, <laughs> just let's just clarify that. Um, so my dad was an only child. I was the only son, you know, in this line of the Wilsons. There are a bunch of Wilsons, you know. It's not, the name's not going to die out, but uh, <laughs> I like the volleyball and uh, Castaway, my favorite character. Um, but I, I took that obligation so seriously, I got on when it went with it when I was 18, sired a child, <laughs> and who was a son. And now he was the last male to carry the Wilson name. You know, I just thought this was kind of cool. I'm the last male, you know, passing on the baton of the last male. And I'm, you know, I would talk to my son about that. Oh, you're the last male, you're, gonna, you're carrying on the... I was totally oblivious to the fact that if men and boys are so special, they carry the name, like, what is that, how does that make women and girls feel in that system? The, the, the privilege assertion going along with it was actually part of imposing a burden on others. So when you grow up um, on an unequal playing field, it's not enough to just recognize the playing field is unequal for some people. It's also unequal for you. You've got more than your fair share of the, of the power pie. And, you know, as a man in that situation, I learned and, and assumed habits that unwittingly to me were part of a process of imposing the burden of inequality on women. So, you know, yes, there are gross examples of gender discrimination, the widespread sexual harassment that's all coming out in the workplace being the latest, but the subtle stuff is, like undergirds the whole thing day to day. And that's the part that calls for accessing a new mindset, a new internal understanding from the heart. So I advanced in my chosen profession um, in a period when women were literally banned from the position I occupied. So, I, interestingly, I went from being a nurse, you know, which is a female-dominated position, but there I saw, like, how, um, like, the doctors were mostly men back in that era, and I saw the way the male doctors treated the nurses, and it was like, ooh... I don't like this, because I, I was a nurse, I didn't, I didn't like that, and I, was, I wasn't used to being treated in that way, you know, I, I don't know if I told the story of, I was in, the, in my OR rotation, uh, rotation um, in nursing school, and I'm observing a, um, a, uh, a neurosurgeon uh, neuro, uh, working on uh, clamping an aneurysm in, a, in, in someone's brain. And I'm right up there, up close and personal, watching it, because I'm you know, on the rotation, and as he clamps the, the aneurysm, does the, really the big part, you know, he's sweating, he's like, whoa, we're in God's territory now, and he clamps the aneurysm. Then he turns to me and says, would you like to finish the procedure? 
I felt pretty good, you know, but I'm like, I, what I really wanted to say is the fact that I stand up when I pee doesn't mean I can do that, you know, that's like, he just made an assumption about me, I'm like, oh, this is everywhere, isn't it, this is everywhere, but then I went from being a nurse to being a pastor in, in, a, a, in a setting, which is like the majority of settings in the United States, where women were literally banned from the position that I occupied. So good for me. I changed that, that policy in the church I, I pastored in the early 90s, not really the, realizing that what I was doing was actually against the, um, against the policies of my denomination at the time. <laughs> so I, I was just naive. Um, didn't get into trouble for that one. Um, but, but it's an ongoing process to reckon with the habits that unfair advantage developed in me. Habits that impose the burden of inequality on women in subtle and pervasive ways in our everyday interactions. So example, the assumption of expertise. So compared to my female pastoral colleagues, it was easy for me to assume that people want to hear my thoughts on any topic in my field. He says, I, I just normalized to that gender-based deference to men as the experts. So last week, I'm in a clergy group. I'm in a clergy group with uh, some, some uh, clergy in town and um, everyone wasn't there yet. Just three of us were there. It's a group of about five. And, and the conversation turns to the LGBT community and all the different um, tensions there are in that community. I'd, I'd been to an affirmation service the week before. I think I brought it up. And we got talking about this and the tensions between gay men and lesbians historically and black members of the LGBT community and white members of the LGBT community. And, and Paul... Pastor Paul is directing his questions about this to Susan for very good reason because Susan is a member of the LGBT community and she's a clergy person uh, for decades. She's been on the forefront of this issue plus she had, had a faculty position at the University of Michigan where she's teaching on these topics to undergraduates. But while Paul is asking Susan the questions, and he's making the eye contact with Susan, which is appropriate, he's asking her the question, I find myself eager to answer the questions. Like, I notice this about myself, and I pause to wonder, why, why, is, why am I, like, trying to get my, you know, thoughts into this? And I realize that, well, heck, yeah, in my old male, straight, dominated, you know, de dominated denomination, I was the gay guy. I know that's ridiculous sounding, but, but because I was surrounded um, by more ignorant than me, straight guys pontificating on the gay issue. So in that setting, I regarded myself as the enlightened one, but the bar was low, keep in mind. So, so I, you know, I'd done extra study on this. I, I, I felt like I had developed some theological expertise. I could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone on the topic. So I habituated to speaking up and weighing in in those circles. Well, good for me in that context, but... In this case, it's BS. 
you know, my, my presumed expertise. Susan is the expert, not me. I should keep my answers to myself and listen to Susan's answers and ask her follow-up questions, not hope Paul will ask me the questions. So if, if I hadn't checked myself in, in the moment, you know, this all happens in like, you know, half a second inside your brain, you know, how your brain works. I, I would have been cross-talking Susan. I would have been butting in with my answers when she had the expertise. When, and like, how many times did I not check myself? When I, was I not aware of this? And it's like, it's work to change your mindset on privilege. It's work. Um, but that's what Paul is urging us to do. Have this mindset, which is yours, in Messiah Jesus. It's not your own natural mindset. It's the mindset of Christ in you. So you have to do the work to discern the difference between your own habitual thoughts, unexamined thoughts, and the thoughts of Christ in you. So, you know, when you find that you're double-minded, pick the better mind. <laughs> Maybe it took Paul, I'm just thinking about his experience of this, because, you know, he had to work for it too. Maybe it took Paul losing his privileged position in prison to notice how he relied on it and how he used it. And then I'm, I'm picturing that singing that hymn, that messianic hymn, helped him realize, oh, oh, if I'm following Jesus, I can, I can let this go. I can relax about this. I don't have to fight this process. And actually, for me, letting it go, thinking and imagining how Paul processed this, that's a way for me to follow Jesus. That's my path to greatness, you know. Therefore, he was exalted above every name. That's part of the hymn. It's that this is my way to move with the Spirit. This is my way to be part of healing the social fabric of our world. So if I'm like asserting or defending my privilege or if I'm feeling prickly, it's if, if it's ever mentioned or pointed out, um, you know, uh, there's this term in the black community, fragile white people. <laughs> you know, fragile white people. Because like, we, you know, ooh, we just get prickly about when, when privilege is pointed out. Well, that's not the point of the, the path of greatness for us. That may bring be some like short-term rewards, but long-term, I'm making myself smaller. I'm making myself less significant when I follow in that path. I'm, I'm just part of the problem still. I'm not part of the solution. So Paul drives this mind shift point home in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, 18. This is after his confession of how he's made this mind shift or trying to in his own, in his own life. He says, and he's got some fire in his belly now. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Did you ever wonder why Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate? It sounds kind of presumptuous, but it's in this context of privilege. Think of it in that context. Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. 
for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. He's talking about these other teachers who are asserting their privilege and using it to impose burdens on the Gentiles. Imitate me as I imitate the Messiah. This is not a call to be a Paul groupie. This is not a call to name your church St. Paul's. You know, It's not a call to be a mini Paul or any of that. It's a specific call to imitate Paul, not in general, but as Paul imitates the Messiah in his mindset about privilege. You picking up what I'm laying down? This is the imitation he's urging on us. That's what it takes to lift the burdens of the unjust playing field um, on people we love. So the Messiah is all about lifting burdens, not imposing burdens. What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then notice how Paul added with a little extra edge, imitate me as I imitate the Messiah. And don't and, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. He's talking about which leaders you're paying attention to in the context of what's going on in the church in Philippi. Um, and he's saying, you know, there are many who live actually as enemies of the cross of the Messiah, which in Philippians context is what the cross is the sign of shedding your privilege for the sake of a higher good. And he's saying, don't pay attention to those not doing their mindset adjustment work. This is like super relevant. We got a lot of leaders in the church today who are all about defending privilege. Lending support even now to the forces of white supremacy and, and male backlash to gender equality in major sections of the church. You understand that revelations about sexual harassment are characterized as part of a war on men. You know, a war on men. Oh, 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 that's what this is about. You know, that's as bogus as the war on Christmas. But, but you know that. Let's, let's not waste our energy, he's saying, observing those leaders. Let's not, not, not give them attention. Let's not pay them any mind, any more than we have to, to just say, okay, that's who he's warning us about. Let's observe our leader, the Messiah Jesus. Let's listen to the voice of the Spirit of Jesus in our own hearts and his different mindset. Let's follow that voice. So just, we'll end the series by going back to that introductory line in, in Philippians 2. Have this mindset, which is yours already. Like you have it already in Messiah Jesus. So there's a treasure that's buried in the mind of the Messiah. And that treasure is actually in us it's in our hearts it's it's there but we have to go like searching for that treasure like treasure buried in the field of our hearts is there that's the good news but we have to access it so there's a think about your own mind and heart now as we close like that's pretty good news there's a new mind in your mind already 
This is not a matter of like having some kind of external thing imposed on you that you have to fight with. No, this is something that is yours in the Messiah Jesus. You have a new mind in your mind. You have a new heart that's already in your heart and the task is just to tune in. Tune into that new mind. Tune into that new heart and observe, pay attention, lend your focus to that part of your inner life and then you'll be moving with the Spirit. Amen. Okay.